I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. There's putting yourself out there, and then there is Lakeisha Benjamin. She is a jazz saxophonist, an incredibly accomplished one, who is not afraid to jump up on stage at someone else's show and rip a solo until she is kicked out by security. That fearlessness, plus her undeniable talent, has led to her playing with folks like Prince, Missy Elliott, Stevie Wonder. She'll tell you stories about all of them, and she is one of the best storytellers I have heard on this show. I'm Talia Schlinger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Let me set up the stakes, okay, of, of this story for you. Lakeisha Benjamin, one of the best jazz saxophonists around. Have a listen to her play. Amazing, right? She's amazing. She's a saxophonist who has played with everyone from Stevie Wonder to Missy Elliott to Prince. You're going to hear stories about how she got to play for each of them today. But she also has this unbelievable story about surviving a car crash that could have ended her career, maybe even her life. That crash was the seed of Lakeisha's new album called Phoenix. She talked to Tom Power about it from New York City. Here's their conversation. How are you? I'm doing great. I loved the knowing laugh I heard over Zoom when I said she had her album launch party in March of 2020. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It was uh, devastating. (laughs) We were going to do two nights of a CD release at Jazz Lincoln Center. So the first one happened on March 11th. We almost died on that one. And right after the set, they told us that the NBA had shut down and that Mario uh, Cuomo Andrew Cuomo was thinking about shutting down the city. So I woke up the next morning and Lincoln Center called my manager and said, do not come. New York City is actually under shelter. So the the tour is out. Then you finally get to tour the record. Um, I think we should probably start here with this. And it's only as much as you want to tell me. Um, take, take me back to that night. What do you remember? Uh, I remember a lot coming up to it. We had just played at the Tri-C Jazz Fest. And actually, I, Samara Joy played first before me. I performed, everything was great. And then I took a nap and then I said I would drive back to New York, which is about a six, seven hour drive. So I took that drive and then that's when things were crazy. I started listening to like a Kenny Garrett CD. And in the process of listening to that CD, the sun was rising. I thought it was so beautiful. And then the next thing I remember is a a tall guy dragging me through the mud. It was blood all over me. And he's just dragging me through the mud saying, you're going to be all right. You'll be all right. And I had no idea what was going on. No idea what was happening. And then I remember like he positioned me up into a tree and I still was kind of in and out of consciousness into not knowing what's going on. And then suddenly I felt like I had a dream and I was like, I think I've been in a car accident. The next thing I remember is in the ambulance. They were like cutting my stuff off, telling me, hurry up, hurry up. The hospital is an hour away. I passed out again. And the next thing I remember is being like on an operating table. That was the only room they had. It was like a trauma center. And because everything was so filled with COVID, 
that's the only room they had for people that had any issues. You don't have any recollection of the crash itself. It, like literally, it's like you blinked and you were. Being it it came back later, so I don't know how the accident started. I know that I was listening to this song, and then I know I remember the car shaking uncontrollably. I remember, like, I guess I I saw pink everywhere, but I guess I have pink airbags. I remember feeling an immense amount of pain. And then I remember, you know how your brain just slows down? And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm in a car accident. And then I, the next thought I had was, oh, my God, is this how I die? And mm-hmm. then it was like, I remember just kind of a big boom, like a slam, which I later found out was that drainage ditch. And that, then the next thing you know, someone is dragging me through the woods. <laughs> For people who don't know who are listening to this, I mean, how bad were your injuries? I had three ribs that I broke. My scapula, which is the top portion of your shoulder, that was completely broken in half. My jaw started out, which I thought was dislocated, but then once we had the x-rays, it was fractured completely, so it was like hanging off. I had severe neurological damages, so like even talking to people, I couldn't process what you were saying or how you were saying it to me, so I had rehab for that. It it just was a, a long process. It wasn't until the beginning of this year that I was able to raise my right arm all the way. How quickly afterwards were you playing saxophone again? That's where it gets interesting. So uh, the next week I was supposed to play at the Pittsburgh Jazz Festival. And, you know, Tang was playing before us. Robbie Coltrane was playing, Branford. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best opportunity in my life. And everybody was like, how are you going to play? You don't have a jaw. So I called one of my old middle school teachers and I was like, can you drive me over there? And he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'll just stand on the stage and I'll try to play. If God allows me to play, then I'll play. And then if I don't, if I can't play, at least they know that I'm an artist of my word and I showed up. And I tried my best. So we get there. I hadn't played the entire week. And in the sound check, I tried to play. So I was able to, like, I guess, hold my mouth down a certain way where it could close. <laughs> and I could get a sound. It was, uh, I would say, excruciating. But we we got through the show. And then, you know, I had to take another three weeks off. And then we went on a month and a half tour in Europe. Were you in excruciating pain for that whole month and a half? The whole time I had the tour manager, he was carrying me on the planes. He was carrying me onto the trains. He was like helping me carry all my stuff to get on the stage, setting up my saxophone for me. Sometimes I would have to get off stage because it was like I was in tears playing. He's like holding ice to my face. So it was it was intense. But I think because I was playing the cold train music, I was able to. I guess I feel feel free on stage and feel like that healing kind of vibration. I think if I was playing something else, I may not have made it. <laughs> So by playing the Coltrane's music, you were able to use some of the pain you were feeling. You were able to use some of the frustration you were feeling, some of the physical pain you were feeling, or it was alleviated by the music you were playing? I, th- I think it was alleviated. I think I was able to, because I asked myself, how was I able to play with that jaw like that? And I didn't cause any extra injuries. I was worried also that I would injure myself more. So I was able to play, you know, 90-minute sets at, like, headline festivals. My name is Lakeisha Benjamin on saxophone. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. And still, I think it's because of the music I was playing, because of my belief in God, because of, I guess, the purpose of the CD and and the mission and just, you know, audiences hadn't seen live music in so long. And just that interaction we had together and just sharing that together. That's the only thing I can believe as to how I was able to overcome that. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how the story you just told us inspired the record we're going to talk about. 
I think I was feeling that as a just as human beings, we all had just gone through so much of a trauma, like so many jazz musicians had died, so many of our loved ones, our friends and living in that fear all that time that my story of just almost I felt like I died in that accident and had to come back to life. <laughs> so that's why I picked the name Phoenix, because that's such a beautiful healing bird and it has to just burst into flames and to come back even better. I just felt like for what my experience was, for what society's experience going through this pandemic and everything, and just for all the artists out there that have to go through life, and we hear more no's than yes. We have to keep reinventing ourselves, rebranding ourselves, keep believing in ourselves, keep inspiring ourselves. So I just wanted to spread that story of just what, it's, what it means and how important it is to just humanity to be resilient. I feel like I, it would be um, it would be not just incorrect, but like maybe a bit of a, a tragedy if people were listening to this interview so far and heard, heard us talking about this record and they thought that this record was about your crash or about you coming back from that crash because it's about so much more. I mean, it's, a, totally. it's, it's about that, but it's also, as you say, about the people we've lost. It's about losing family. It's also about, um, it's, it's about issues that affect black lives. It's, a, it's about issues that affect uh, working class lives, poor people's lives. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. I just felt like I wanted to highlight the human experience. Like I'm suffering from that tragedy of the accident. So yeah, that's a personalized thing. But how many other people are waking up to ambulance sounds and they've lost their child? How many people are waking up and they sent their kids to school and now there's a school shooting and they're dead? How many people are waking up and they sent their son to get some milk and now there's a police violence thing and they're gone? So I just felt like in each person's life, we're all having these tragedies and all these things. And it's not the world we want to live in. It's not how we want to be. So I wanted to let people know that they're seen. Their pain is seen. And we can take that pain and, and celebrate it in a different kind of way. We can tr inspire change and we can inspire healing through song, you know? Like, I don't, I didn't want the songs to feel like a, a down-tempo kind of thing. I wanted everybody to feel how joyous things could be. <laughs> Let me reintroduce you here. Uh, my guest is Lakeisha Benjamin. We're talking about her new album, Phoenix. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, collaboration. So, like, you work with some pretty amazing talent on this record. I mean, there's Wayne Shorter's on this, Diane Reeves is on this, Patrice Russian's on this. I know part of this is that you want to highlight people, sort of give them their flowers while they're still around, right? Yeah, I feel like for the past two CDs, I've been highlighting work of giving flowers, of course, to the elders that have been here and the things they have said and done and appreciating them now and kind of just highlighting how jazz works. It goes generation to generation, passed down directly. So I'm trying to get the listener to see that process through sound. But I'm also trying to highlight people that have inspired me and made change. And they've had their own stories of breaking through boundaries. Angela Davis, Patrice Russian, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even know she's a jazz pianist. They just know the R&B Patrice. They don't know that she teaches in schools and gives back that kind of way. A lot of people wouldn't know who Terry Lynn Carrington is. So I wanted to highlight while you can still be at that level of fame, there's still more people that can be introduced to you and there's still more story to be told. And, you know, looking at these women, this is something that's inspiring me to be the person I am. Come on, is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. It's your permitted way. 
I heard this great story about you. I was hoping I might be able to get you to tell about how you ended up working with Missy, Missy Elliott, which was like you were walking to your car and you thought you were being yell- catcalled or something like that. What, what, what's the story? Yeah, totally. I was outside, if you know New York, on West 4th in front of the Blue Note. And across the street is a place called the Village Underground, which is they had like every night killing R&B bands. And I was walking out of the Blue Note and walking by and I hear somebody saying, hey, yo, girl with the sax. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, I already know what that in New York. I already know what that means. Yeah. So I keep walking faster. And yeah. finally he comes up to me and he's like, hey, you know, you know, I thought it was a hustle. He's like, yeah, I'm the drummer with Missy Elliott and I want to put you on. We having a rehearsal tomorrow. I was like, oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm a jazz player. He's like, we take all players. So <laughs> I was just thinking like, this is such a scam. So he gave me the number and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll call you tomorrow. He said, I'm going to write down the address. I said, okay, write it down. So the next day I knew like, there's no way I'm going there at all. It's not going to happen. And uh, somehow around noon, I started thinking it over, thinking it over. And I said, "Eh, why not? So I go down there and it's totally just that drummer, a bunch of band and a guy named Corte, which is Missy's uh, cousin. So I was like, see, I knew it. No Missy Elliott, but the band was killing. So I was like, I'll just vibe and have fun and go home. Eventually Corte said, do you want to do a show with me? I said, yeah, yeah, let's do the show. He said, you have other horns. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm the boss. I'll get some more horns. So I get everything together. We do this show. Gabrielle Union's there, Terrence Howard, everything. And Missy comes to watch us. And she sees us playing and everything. She goes, hey, is this your, are you in charge of these people? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm the boss. And she said, yeah, yeah, why don't you bring these people by this studio this day? And I want you guys to work on something. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. These are, these are my, my employees. So that's how it started up. You are, you're being like, you're really chill for telling me that story. Like <laughs> you're telling me that like when she showed up, like you were cool, you know, you were playing music. Everything was pretty, it was, felt pretty good. You're telling me when she, when you actually get a, a look at her, you, you're not like, holy God, like, yeah, holy moly. No, I would say the only time that happened is you would have to pick between Stevie and Prince. Those are the moments where I had like a full, oh my God. And those happened similar ways. I, I wasn't expecting it. And it totally just. I had a freak show up that happened. Here. Hold on. What's the story? What's the Prince story? <laughs> I had, I was living in LA and I had decided like, I'm going to go sneak into this Prince show and see him for the first time. Where was he playing? He was playing at 3121 in Las Vegas, that club he had. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get a bus ticket. I'm going to go out there. And at this particular time in my life, we should mention I had a reputation for jumping on people's stages. So we should just let it know. If you were famous, I was jumping on your stage. With, with, your, with your saxophone? With my sax, full okay. solo. Okay. So I actually get, I find a way to sneak into the club, get in there. I watch like the first couple of songs. I have my sax actually under the stage, kind of where the guitar tech has his stuff. And I'm like, you know, it's already set up. When it's time, I'm going to hop up, play. I only got probably 30 seconds for security comes. And I'll see if he lets me play. So... Prince, I'm like, he's the, he's going to the next song. I'm like, I'm going to do it now. And it's totally like a 45 minute, like him and guitar moment. So I was like, this is not the time. So I kind of, while I was standing there, I looked up and I saw my friend plays trumpet. And I was like, oh my God, let me text him. And like a song later, he texts me back while the horns are off. Yeah, yeah, we're having an after party. So I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to be disrespectful. So I get to the, the, the what do you call it? The bouncer for the after party. I said, oh yeah, I'm friends with him. Let me in. He's like, yeah, yeah, I bet you are. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm friends with him. I can text him right now. He's like, get back. So now I'm like, what am I going to do? So I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to take my saxophone. And in my naiveness, I said, I'm going to run by this guy. And when I run by this guy, he won't be able to catch me. And then I'll start playing. And then that can work like the stage. So I start playing, 
run by this guy. I'm thinking I'm I'm clear. I'm free now. And then I just feel all the wind in my body sucked out by this guy's arm, <laughs> grabbing me by the way, squeezing all the air out of my body. <laughs> and I'm like, now I'm making hmm sounds on the sax. <laughs> so I'm trying to hold on, but he's just too big, much bigger than me. He has me in the air. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a fail. But then somebody started screaming, let that girl play. Hey, get off of her. So I was like thinking like, yeah, get off me. So he, eventually he lets me go. And the band is like, you know, waving at me, come up here, come up here. And I come up there out of breath. My hair is all, all over the place. And they're like, put a mic there. And they're like, take a solo. And I, I'm like, I don't know what key it is, nothing. I'm just like, go, full throttle, go, 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 go. So I end up uh, playing with them all night. They have a good time. Everything is great. And I'm like, okay, I didn't get to meet Prince, but it was great. You know, no problems. Next day, I finally get back to LA. And my boy texts me. He said, uh, Prince is here asking about you. I said, what's he asking about me? He said he stays up all night checking the blogs. He read a blog that you snuck into this joint and made a trouble with the bartender. So they were writing about you in the blog. He's asking me if I know you. I was like, what you going to say? He said, I said, I know you. So that's how I started. <laughs> that's, that's an unbelievable story. Yeah. It was intense. I mean, like I said, the Stevie one is just intense. They, they both, both of those two are my top, like, I can't believe it happened. Do you want to do? Do you want to? Do you want to do the Stevie one? Do you have? Do you want to do it? Yeah, Stevie was in the Obama time period. Okay. So, Obama was playing his inaugural ball. I was going to play there with Regina Bell. So I was already down there. My boy calls me. He says, "Hey, why are you down here? Do you want to?" Maya Angelou is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Do you want to play with her? I was like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." I'm gonna. I'm. I'm down to honor the queen. We play this thing. Two hours of funk to the wall. She gets the award. We take pictures with her. I'm thinking, that's it, you know? I'm going back to the hotel. A guy comes running in. Do you guys want to play with Stevie Wonder? I was like, oh, hustle, hustle. I know a hustle. He's like, if you want to play with Stevie Wonder, you have to leave your coats, everything now, and run to this other building. That was the Commerce Building and Treasury or what it was. And I was like, it's like negative 10 outside. He's like, what do you want to do, Stevie or not? And everybody in the band is like, uh, I don't know. I was like, we need to go. So we run over there, black tie, full gown, Saxophone, saxophone in hand. Saxophone in hand, bass, drumsticks. My man has his keyboard. <laughs> We're running down there. We get into the room. The guy leads us to the stage. He's like, just play a song till Stevie get here. So we're like, okay, let's play something. An hour and a half goes by. I said, I told you this is a hustle. I'm screaming from the sax dance. Oh, hustle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not real. So finally, my man, my friend is like, yeah, maybe we should get out of here. And then I kind of look from the side of the stage and I said I know that forehead that's a Stevie <laughs> forehead and he said how you how you know I said because the dreadlocks are pushed back that's a Stevie forehead that's a Stevie Wonder forehead yeah right so now. finally the guy helps him on they give him some kind of award or something they sit him down at the piano so you can't see me out there guys but I'm standing right next to the piano it's me Stevie and I have a wireless mic he starts playing a song with us I don't even remember what it was but we you know we know Stevie songs we play it we're thinking yes we did it congratulations right his handler's trying to pick him up to leave him. He's like playing more songs. We end up playing like an hour and a half to two hours of Stevie songs in front of that audience the whole time. So I'm thinking like, I'm having the time of my life. Then he goes into all I do. First thing that comes into my head is there's an alto solo. There's an alto solo here. I know there's an alto solo. So I'm thinking, I'm freaking out, but I'm playing the intro with everybody. And I start thinking, you know what? Let me uh, give the piano player the solo, it's his gig. So I look at him, he's looking at me like it's on you. You mean my soul, burning fire. 
we're both like kind of debating this for like however many minutes it takes to get to that solo. And then Stevie's right next to me and he just yells, somebody solo. <laughs> so uh, I look up at him and he looks at me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take it. So I, I immediately play the beginning of that. I'm playing the whole record thing. When he gets to the end of the record solo, he yells, keep going. So I keep going. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like an angel in heaven right now with a little liar having the time of my life. You know, we eventually finish the set. After we're all hugging, like, oh my God, this is the best moment of our life. And the handler comes to me and the drummer. He says, Stevie wants to talk to you and the drummer. So I'm immediately thinking, I messed it up. <laughs> we go over there. He wants to take pictures with us. He's giving us hugs, telling us to keep going, keep trying, keep doing what we're doing. He loves how we sound. If you guys mind, you know, give my friend your number. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I give him the number. Next thing you know, a couple months later, their saxophone player has a passport issue. And they call me and say, oh, yeah, can you do some some gigs in Europe or something? I said, oh, yeah, how long? We don't know. I said, how much? Oh, we can't tell you that yet. I'm like, uh, okay. And then I just <laughs> go out. <laughs> so it's not a good message for the youth out there, but... <laughs> What's what's the most surprising thing about playing with Stevie Wonder? What's something about Stevie Wonder that I wouldn't know? I think everybody knows, but it's it's probably that his songs are so complicated and so accessible to everyone. No one listening to Stevie ever thinks this is such a hard song. They always think this is amazing. But the musicians playing it up there are like, oh my God. You know? Yeah. I know what you mean. It's I love the way you put it, that his music is so complicated and it's so accessible at the same time. Also, I want to point out that in both stories, you thought you were being hustled both times, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, something I'm, I'm learning to deal with, to, to, to believing always that the impossible is possible. Don't you just want to walk around New York City with Lakeisha Benjamin, like on a Tuesday, and and say yes and see what happens? That's the first part of her conversation with Tom Power. Those stories are wild. They There are more stories, believe it or not. There's more with Lakeisha Benjamin talking about her latest album, Phoenix. Uh, coming up, you'll hear how John and Alice Coltrane's music has influenced her. But first, I want to play you Lakeisha's tribute to John Coltrane from Phoenix. This is called Train. new album Phoenix that's Lakeisha Benjamin with Train that's her tribute to legendary jazz saxophonist John Coltrane coming up you'll hear Lakeisha talk about Coltrane and his influence on her his influence on jazz 
I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power, and Q is back in a bit. I'm Candice Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton. We are the hosts of ICYMI, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And we want to help you make sense of the need-to-know internet stories of the week. Consider us your internet historians of past, present, and future. Of the good, the bad, and the truly unhinged. From nuanced takes on stories we're all closely following to the ones you wished you heard about. In case you missed it, that's ICYMI, the podcast that's extremely online, so you don't have to be. Follow and listen now. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'm ready, and I hope you're ready to dive back into Tom's conversation with Lakeisha Benjamin, jazz saxophonist. You're hearing her right now. If you caught the first part of their chat, you know she is not just a thrilling musician. She's also a thrilling storyteller. They're talking about her new album called Phoenix, which was largely inspired by a car crash she was in a few years back. I say largely because this is an album that's about a whole lot more than that. Lakeisha is talking about issues around black lives, working class lives on this record. And Tom started the next part of their chat by playing Lakeisha some music by an artist that was a really big influence on her, on so many people. Have a listen. My guest is uh, Lakeisha Benjamin. We've been talking about her album, Phoenix. Um, Lakeisha, can you tell us what we're listening to and uh, tell us a little bit, um, tell us what we're listening to and tell us maybe a little bit about what goes through your mind when you hear it. Uh, we're listening to John Coltrane's version of Alabama. And it's about, um, I can't remember the year, something 60s, there was a church bombing. And five little girls just happened to go down to the basement, probably to use the bathroom, do their hair and the bomb went off. So four little girls were killed and one survived, but she was severely maimed. So John Coltrane wrote this song to highlight the injustices that were happening in the South with the Klan and during that civil rights movement, just the struggle for equality. How much does that legacy of John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane, the ability to speak about moments like this, such tragedies like this, such like atrocities like this, in in the context of jazz like how, how much are you informed by their legacy um i i believe it's artist's job to reflect the times so if you if your work is not reflecting the human experience then how can you be touching real humans so i think it's inspiring to me to that i can hear this song and, and transport myself back and hear what's going on hear what he was feeling hear what he's he's a reflection of what many people were feeling and i wouldn't be able to get that if he wasn't able to articulate and express what is happening in his direct surroundings. Is jazz uniquely suited, maybe because of you know the origins of who created the genre, in addition to, do, to, to personal expression, to getting across social justice 
black life injustice towards towards black folks and 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 a struggle like is is jazz also uniquely suited for that i wouldn't say uniquely i think all black music is is a reflection of that but i will say that uh it has the most room for the expression of it you know what i mean it has the most space for you to express yourself through song through words through rhythm and it's the closest genre of all the art forms if you go hip hop of course you could just rap about it right but in jazz it's the the next music from slavery. <laughs> you know, you have slaves, you have the, the 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 spirituals, the work songs in the field, and those all directly went to the blues and then next to jazz. So it's the closest art form besides blues that is a direct derivative of the people that were directly affected. Like all of us are generations of oppression, but that roots, and when you're learning the tradition of jazz, you're learning directly what it felt like to be the next generation to be able to play a drum. You know, so... I think that's that's powerful if you had a whole people that expressed themselves through song and then that was taken away for a long time and then brought back in a different variation. Jazz is, you can't play jazz if you can't play blues. You know, you can play blues better and jazz better if you can feel holler. So I just think it's unique to that expression. You can rap without being able to feel holler, but you're so much better if you could. <laughs> I mean, a point I had never thought of that before, like the, the closeness in like chrono- chronology to slavery, yeah. to slavery, you know? And when you are playing, when you are a descendant of that music, like when you are playing that that music, you are informed, of course, by by that time and by those early days of jazz. Of course. I mean, it, it sounds so far away, but I mean, there's people in my family I know that were still sharecroppers. Yeah. And I'm from New York, so that, that, that means they still had to be in the South. You had to skip back a couple of generations, so... I think it's I think it's powerful stuff, you know. I think whenever you study the tradition of a people, you really get to the expression of things. Let's go out on a on a piece of music of yours. Take a listen to this. Lakeisha, I loved this piece of music. Um, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about it, um, where, where it came from. I mean, let's just start with what it's called. Well, it's called Rebirth. And uh, I came up with a song just to, unlike Phoenix, the show The Dying, I just wanted to show what it's like to be like moving through life, moving through society and evolving intellectually, evolving spiritually, evolving mentally. And, and, you know, and I used the band as a way to show these are your friends and your peers that you're coming up with. The song starts in kind of a somber way, and I just wanted to show how it can open up like a flower, just when you become your full, involved self, just what that can look like and feel like, that freedom. Am I right to assume that also like when you rely on one another, the reason it's with the band is because you can totally. you can, you can experience that full blossoming of who you actually are by relying totally. on other people. It wouldn't be possible without them. So I really... I thank you for playing that, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to play We're gonna play more of it. Listen, I want to thank you for your, your music. I just want to thank you for telling like some of the best stories I've ever heard <laughs> on this show in my entire life. Um, and also talking about something I know that that's not always easy. Uh, a couple of things that are not always easy to talk about. I'm, I'm grateful to you. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom.
That's Lakeisha Benjamin with Rebirth. Before that, you heard Tom's conversation with the amazing saxophonist. Lakeisha's album Phoenix is out now. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but there's another episode in your feed right now. I talked with Lisa Cook-Ravensbergen, who's created this new immersive audio experience. Like, you know, when you go to the theater and you're sort of stuck in a chair watching a thing happening in front of you? At this show, you're invited to lie down, to walk around, to take it in. It's an immersive audio experience that incorporates the sounds of voices and the sounds of whales and asks some really big questions about what the future means. You can find that chat in your feed. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.